topics each week anthropologically. Enjoy. Hey, Bulls. It's a slightly cloudy Friday afternoon. It's 3 o'clock, so you know what time it is. It's time for Anthro Alert. You're listening to Bulls Radio, WUSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 AM on campus, and always streaming worldwide at bullsradio.org. So if you've listened to Anthro Alert in the past, you already know what we're about. But if you haven't and you're joining us brand new today, then I'll tell you what you're about to listen to. This show is about anthropology and why it matters. Each week we discuss how anthropology is relevant. And over time, we feature various guests from the Department of Anthropology to discuss their research and have them weigh on on everyday topics or current events. We believe that this is a good opportunity for us as anthropologists to better connect with the USF community and to raise awareness on the value of an anthropological perspective. Just like every week, we like to preface our show with a disclaimer that the statements that we make and the opinions that we express here on AnthroAlert are ours and are ours alone. Um, They may not necessarily be representative of anthropology as a discipline, of USF, of the USF Anthropology Department, uh, USF student government, and all the other stakeholders I forgot to mention. Like kittens. (laughs) Like kittens. So I am Spencer with my co-host over here. Uh, Renee, hey, hey. Hey, it's uh, nice to see you all. I hope you're out there listening. We can't see you, but I... I feel your good vibes that you're sending us. So we have a special guest on uh, this week's show, Dr. Diane Wallman. Hello, Dr. Wallman. Hi, Spencer. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, we appreciate you coming on to talk to us. So we're going to talk about some archaeology, specifically in the Florida area, and I'm excited for the conversation. What about you, Renee? I am very excited because, as I mentioned on our first show, I used to think archaeology was all about Indiana Jones. Yes. And the reality is different. We get some we get a dose of reality today, uh, historical archaeology and why it matters, uh, especially in today's climate. Um, it's very relevant. Yeah, absolutely. So let's just hop right into the conversation. So, Dr. Wallman, you're an archaeologist, but mm-hmm. specifically you say that you are a historical archaeologist or a zooarchaeologist. Can you explain to us what specifically those subfields are and you know what kind of things do they focus on? Happy to. Um, yeah, so first I'll, I'll tackle the historical archaeology, and, and I'm going to talk a bit about why this is differentiated from archaeology, um, prehistoric archaeology, at least in North America. Okay. Um, I'll talk about the discipline here. Um, so when I, when I say historical archaeology, generally speaking at the broad level, it could mean archaeology that um, is aided by the documentary record, so that mm-hmm. which has writing you know, associated with the sites or the time period in which you're doing archaeology. Um, in North America and the Americas in general, when we say historical archaeology, we're generally referring to the post-Columbian period. Um, so this would, of course, for, for most of the Americas, especially in North America, um, this would mean the first time that we actually have documentary evidence, you know, associated with sites that mm-hmm. we're excavating. Okay. Um, and so that's generally how North American archaeologists conceive of historical archaeology, the archaeology aided by the documentary record in the post-Columbian Americas. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then um, I also, my specialty within that, because we like to specialize in (laughs) anthropology, um, (laughs) I'm a zooarchaeologist, which means I look at animal remains from archaeological sites to reconstruct things like diet, foodways, and environment 
Um, so when we excavate a site, you know, we may find a trash pit with lots of animal bones from what people were eating. And I bring them back to the lab and I identify those animal bones to, to what animal they came from and where in the animal. Mm -hmm. And so we can learn a little bit more about, you know, how people are living and what they're eating. Okay. So what Mm -hmm. are like some specific questions you would ask if you were like found some animal bones and you know, what specifically would you be looking for when you analyze those bones? Okay. So some questions might be, were people raising their own animals? Like, Mm. did they have domestic animals that they were raising for milk or draft or to consume? Mm -hmm. Or were they fishing? Right. So we're in coastal Florida, right? A lot of most of the peoples who've lived here throughout time um, have exploited the the coasts, the the waters, the rivers um, for food. So where were they going to fish? What types of fish were they eating? Uh, Were they hunting as well? You know, so kind of reconstruct their whole subsistence regime um, really in the past. Hmm. That's really interesting because I'm sure that when people think of archaeology, they don't necessarily think about the animals that were present, Mm -hmm. you know, along with you know, those communities or, or populations that you look at. And I'm sure they played just as an important role back then as animals do today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, yeah. and especially when, you know, when you don't have the grocery store down the corner. Right. Right. You rely <laughs> on what's in the landscape around you. Absolutely. Um, and of course, you know, there's other things like we think about dogs, mm-hmm. right, pets mm-hmm. um, and animals that weren't necessarily for consumption, but might have helped in hunting or keeping mm-hmm. vermin away. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of different sides to that. Hmm as well that's interesting mm-hmm. and, and it's obvious because i mean i wouldn't have thought oh we should also look at animal remains at these archaeological sites to help put together a better picture of the context mm-hmm. uh, but now that you bring it up that yes quite obvious would i would not have um i would have just been looking for pot shirts <laughs> <laughs> that's just immediately what pops into my mind yeah. when i think of archaeology <laughs> it's a lot more yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so we'll start talking specifically about what you're doing here uh, in the Tampa Bay region or or in Florida. Um, so the site that you're working on is called the Gamble Plantation Historical or Historic State Park, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So why why is this particular site an important site for the history and and the heritage of of Florida? Okay, yeah, so there's a, there's a long and a short answer to that. Okay, um, but give us the I'll, long the, one. <laughs> the, the, yeah. the, um, well, part of this, I think, too, is, is something I didn't mention about historical archaeology that I want to uh, get in here as well, is that what we do, you know, a lot of people ask, why, why am I going to excavate a site like Gamble Plantation when we have all this documentary evidence, you know, the documentary record surrounding the history of the site, right? So why do we need to excavate? Mm-hmm. Um, and the answer to that is... Oftentimes you hear the um, saying, right, history is written by the winners. Mm -hmm. I think, I don't love that statement. I think there's a more nuanced way to think about it in that history is written by those in power, you Mm. know, right, political and economic power, Mm. those who could read and write, which up until very recently in human history was a very, very... um, small minority mm-hmm. of the human population. Sure. Um, yeah. And so when we have these historical sites, you know, we uh, the evidence that we do have, the documents that we do have, are tend to be selective. They tend to be biased, um, you know, written by particular people with particular um, objectives mm-hmm. um, and, and ideas. Um, and so what we're missing then are, you know, our understanding of the history of, you know, the, the kind of masses, right, the, mm-hmm. the poor, the um, minority, the marginalized, the enslaved in the instance, say, of Gamble Plantation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we can come in 
to a site like this and start to understand more about the lives of the individuals who were not writing the history, mm-hmm. right? To give sort of a voice to the voiceless in mm-hmm. the past. Sure. Um, and so that's sort of the the broader answer to this. Um, should I go through a bit of the history of the site? Yeah, absolutely. Give us yeah, give us some context and okay. some historical context. All right. So um, you know the 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 story well starts you know if we want to talk about Florida history it starts. Uh, Ten thousand plus years ago, but sure. for this history, we're gonna we're gonna move on up to yeah, you know yeah, that's, yeah. that's quite a ways down yeah. there. So. The 1840s um, okay. is really when the story begins. Um, when there was very 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 few people actually living in Florida, um, mm-hmm. we have you know the Seminole Indians, and that's a complicated story in itself. <laughs> um, and and what you have is Florida had recently come into statehood, um, and you have. Um, the, the U.S. passes the Arm, Armed Occupation Act of 1842. And so what this does is encourages individuals to come down and settle into Middle and South Florida, um, mostly really to kind of push the Seminole further out of this area. This is right after the Second Seminole War. And so you have all this unsettled land. And so what happens, you have a lot of these Middle Florida, so like Tallahassee area, Florida, um, people who move from this area down to like Manatee County where where Gamble Plantation is and they settle and they start plantations and farming and other things in this area Um, and so that is when Robert Gamble comes into the story as well in 1844 um, he came down around this time he incidentally was not part of the Armed Occupation Act which gave land to these people but he bought his land on the Manatee River but at the same time the others were settling the area he came down with ten enslaved individuals um, and to start a sugar plantation. Mm. Right, so this is sort of like you know peak sugar production um, in Louisiana, um, and this is a short-lived industry in Florida, but nonetheless it was there. So he came with ten slaves, uh, ten enslaved laborers, um, and he started to construct his plantation. He built this this really beautiful mansion that stands today as the only standing plantation house in South Florida. Wow, um, it's a Greek revival. Uh, structure okay. so it's really unique it's tabby constructed so mm. that's shell uh, mixed with lime and you know various like water and muck wow. and sounds <laughs> interesting <laughs> yeah there's a lot going on here so right. <laughs> yeah. um, there's so much to thanks, thanks for clearing that up dr Wallman, because when i was reading the word tabby and trying to figure out what that meant, i i just the first thing that comes to my mind is like a tabby cat yeah oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah no it's a mix of basically a lot of oyster shell oh really. okay um, and other things, and they construct brick. Or, or didn't know you could construct brick with oyster shells. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes yeah. a while to harden and, and to fire, I believe, and to set. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm certainly no yeah. architectural historian here. Learn something new every day. Yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> um, so he hired actually a local uh, artisan, Asa Goddard, to to construct to to teach and, and some other artisans to teach and instruct the enslaved people who then constructed them this very large mansion. Mm-hmm. Um, he fr- primarily focused on sugar, but also had other crops like corn, sweet potatoes, timber, um, and other things. Um, he also, so it was very so, sort of swampy down here, and so the um, the fields needed to be drained for sugarcane because it likes wet during when it's growing, but it doesn't like to be sitting, the roots don't like to sit in water. And so there were 16 miles of canals that the enslaved laborers constructed wow. in this area um, to drain the fields. That's, that's quite a few. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was large. So it was a lot yeah. of movement of earth and construction. Um, so, so I'll try and try and be as brief as possible. The okay. history here is yeah. a lot of it. Um, so he comes in and, and he's there for a few years and then his father dies in 1852. And after that point, he's largely absentee as he's taking care of his father's business in, in, um, Tallahassee. 
Um, and then you have an, uh, the third Seminole War happens. There was a raid of a, uh, an, a state like nearby of one of his, um, I don't know, peers, I guess, of Braden Castle. And so he kind of leaves in 1856 altogether. Um, he leaves it for a bit with his brother-in-law to take care of and an overseer. But then in 1858, he sells it to um, two Louisiana planters, uh, John Cofield and Robert Davis. Um, and in that deed, they, they um, note that there are 185 slaves, so enslaved peoples. Mm -hmm. um, some had come down from Leon County in Tallahassee. Um, but at that point, that's how many were transferred in this sale of the estate. Um, then in, in 1862, of course, you have um, the Civil War right, going on. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is the Confederate army, the Confederate um, military starts to kind of take over a lot of these, these estates to house, you know, to, to kind of maintain some stability and some power in these areas. Um, and Florida was part of the Confederacy. Um, and so you have Captain Archibald McNeil and his family, th three kids and his wife. They move in uh, from uh, 1862 to just uh, after the end of the war for a while. Um, he grew cattle and corn and supplied that to the Confederacy. Um, and at that point, there's only about 11 enslaved peoples listed um, in the documents. Um, so we're not exactly sure if they were sold off or what happened. Um, and then in 1865, the Secretary of State of the Confederacy, so the Confederate Secretary of State, Judah P. Benjamin, comes and um, he's escaping the Union troops. And so he comes and um, stays with uh, Captain McNeil for some time. Um, not really clear exactly how long, from one month to two weeks, somewhere you know, in there. Um, and so he hides and then escapes. Um, and that's where you actually get the name of the site, the Judah P. Benjamin Confederate Memorial, is to the Secretary of State, who is there for a little bit. Um, and then the plantation is sold to George Patton, who is a lawyer, with his 11 children and wife. And he farmed it and sold some bits off to farm at that point and lived there um, until his death. And his son took over um, the property and Dudley Patton. And in 1895, he built his – it's a funny story, actually. His wife um, was – not happy with the state of the mansion. She said it was sort of old school or dated, um, and so he built a new house for her, a Victorian-style um, house on the property in 1895. Um, and then it passed several hands after that family, and then in 1825, the United, United Daughters of the Confederacy purchased the land with a mansion that was pretty dilapidated at that point, and they donated it to the state in 1927, um, and it's been owned by the state ever since. Wow, that's, that's, that's quite a history. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I know it's a lot. <laughs> and so, so I guess more more to the point, though, it's important for a lot of reasons. I think yeah. this is a unique period in Florida history. There's a lot of um, different actors on the on the landscape at this time. It's very complex. Um, the Florida sugar industry was short lived, but you know we have to remember there were um, you know a lot of enslaved laborers living mm -hmm. in Florida at this time that get lost. Lost, I think, in the story of the Civil War right. and plantations. Right. It's always um, it's important to include those parts in into how we portray the history that that went on at these places. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think now is a good time to take a short music break after a message from our sponsors, and then when we come back, we can talk about um, more about the archaeology that's going on at this at this site today.
Hey, Bulls, you're back listening to Anthro Alert on Bulls Radio, WSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 AM on campus, and streaming worldwide at bullsradio.org. We're sitting here with Dr. Diane Wallman. Uh, she's been telling us about the history, uh, or some of the history, there's a very long history, of the Gamble Plantation Historic State Park and some of the work that she has been doing there. So now we're going to, we have, we have the context and the history of, of what happened there. Now we're going to talk about what she's been doing there uh, today um, and some of her archeolo- uh, archaeological work and just, um, yeah, how, what, what the site is like contemporarily. So, Dr. Wallman, we, we've, you explained to us a little bit about the importance of, of the heritage the, um, and the history of, the, of this site. So how does this um, fit into contemporary conversations of the preservation and of this heritage and culture that is relevant to, to this site, you know, the representation? Yeah, well, um, you know, this is a, a complex question yeah. um, and a yes, complex answer. <laughs> um, you know, so the, the site is formally um, the Judah P. Benjamin Confederate Memorial mm-hmm. at uh, Gamble Plantation State Park. Sure. So as I said, it was donated by the United Daughters of Confederacy um, who preserved the site um, out of, you know, their their own um, interest in the heritage mm-hmm. of, of the site itself. Um, and, uh, you know, we all read the news recently, so we obviously know about yeah the, the conversations regarding, you know, Confederate memorials and monuments. Yes. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I approach this in a number of ways. Um, the first is that I think, you know, we, all, we do need to understand that there's sort of, you know, we, we should be multi-vocal and have, uh, be inclusive of, um, you know, many interests in heritage mm-hmm. um, that we have. And I think that's important. Um, nonetheless, I think we we also need to acknowledge, you know, maybe more painful part of our past through history mm-hmm. and understanding, um, you know, what really happened right in the past and acknowledging yeah. it. Right. Um, and at, at the forefront of this issue, of course, is the removal of, of monuments. And, and Gamble's sort of a unique situation here because. Um, the the monument on the site is dedicated to an individual who was at the site, you know, who was part of the history of the site in particular. You know, he was there. Um, and he was part of the narrative of the historical narrative. Right. Um, so this isn't, for example, you know, some of the other monuments which might be, you know, dedicated to generals of the war, other people that are in a in front of a public courthouse, like in in Tampa or mm-hmm. um, the one that was just removed in Manatee County. Right. Um, so it's a little bit of a different context, um, but I think it is important to consider, you know, the context of when these memorials were put in place and for what reasons. And that, and I think as a society, we need um, to think about, you know, what types of histories we want to memorialize and how, you know, we want to remember um, our past. Mm-hmm. Um, accurately right yeah, of course right. um yeah. and so you know if you look at if i recommend for everybody to go out and read a little bit on you know when these monuments were constructed um and for what reasons you know read about the lost cause of the confederacy um during the jim crow era um i encourage people to do that you know um, go out and read more about the history of these and you can make up your own mind certainly mm-hmm. right um but for me you know i think um, you know, in a lot of this, these discussions, you know, we, we I, I study the history of, of enslavement, right? Um, that's what I do. Um, and I think that we need to put that discussion at the forefront of a lot of, of these um, 
uh, at, at the forefront of this discourse um, and also at our research. You know, these mm -hmm. are the people who are often left out of, of these, the, the history and the discussion of the textbooks that we read, mm -hmm. um, you know, that suffered during this period, um, that suffered, but also that, that, you know, were resilient through this period, um, resisted um, their bondage in many ways. And I think those stories should be, you know, put to the forefront um, yeah. and remembered. You know, whether it be alongside the, the other histories um, or, you know, uh, in, in some way. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's where this sort of fits in. You know, we, this is a site that was, cons you know, the, the mansion, the, the, the fields were cleared by enslaved individuals. The, the, um, the canals were constructed by them. This is the, the lives and labors and bodies of these people are represented in this site. And I think that we need to remember that. Yeah, absolutely. So, so a big part of conducting research is asking the right questions. Mm -hmm. So, so our next question for you, Dr. Wallman, is how? What were the research questions that drew drove your research here? Mm -hmm. um, so, I initially became interested in this site because I, I, again, as I said, I study enslavement. So, I study uh, the Atlantic slavery in the Caribbean um, and also in West Africa and uh, other places, South Carolina and other places in the southeastern United States. So I was interested in first just kind of understanding kind of comparative um, situations of, of, of enslavement and of plantations. Um, and so sugar plantations in particular are sort of my area. Um, and so that's what led me to this site. You know, what did labor, what did the organization of a sugar plantation look like in Florida you know, in the, the mid-19th century. Um, and so that was kind of the guiding objective here. And then as I started to learn more about the site, um, from the wonderful histories that many people, you know, Felicia Silpa, who was a former USF student, is a wonderful thesis on this, hmm. um, and wrote an article as well for historical archaeology. little shout-out um, there. Yeah, <laughs> well, she's done a lot, and other other people as well. I mean, there's many yeah. people associated with the site who have done wonderful historical historical research on this oh, okay. um, but cool. for me I wanted to understand you know more about the nuanced history right. um, at the site mm. so who else you know was living there and what were they experiencing and we do this through kind of reading material culture that we find and so I wanted to excavate and see if we could figure out okay what other buildings might have been on the landscape and possibly eventually trying to identify the where the enslaved laborers had their 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 houses um, okay. on the site as well. Mm -hmm. um, so those are kind of the main research questions. You know, what learning more about the multi, you know, the the various histories at the site. Um, you know, not just the ones in the written right. record. Yeah. So these are these are very complex, I mm -hmm. think, questions, and uh, particularly sort of a contentious area of, mm -hmm. of research, I guess we could say. Um, so, I, like you said, you have to, I guess you have to approach it from a lot of different angles, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to get different different histories, as you've been saying, and, um, you know, different, different angles of, of um, answering these questions. So, what sort of methods and or technologies are you using to, to answer these questions that you have? Right. So um, we, you know, we ran this through a, a field school. So this mm -hmm. is for undergraduates primarily through USF. So that's where students come out to learn archaeology. Um, and so we, we came out and, um, you know, generally <laughs> the, the methods we use are, are basic archaeological methods, which you might have seen on, you know, Discovery Channel or whatever, where we dig very meticulously um, in particular areas that we think we're going to be able to identify um, a lot of material culture. 
And so these tend to be areas where people threw things out, right? If we're talking about just you know, understanding the daily lives. Um, we also try and locate, you know, where where buildings were um, through different features that we find as we excavate in the ground into the ground. Um, and so, you know, historical people might ask, what how is historical archaeology different than regular archaeology in terms of methods? It's not really in terms of the archaeology itself. Every site is very different. No matter what what time period you're in, you're going to approach it slightly differently. Um, but archaeologists, we like to meticulously excavate and map everything we do. And so we came in and actually applied a digital um, field recording approach to this. So we used tablets, which was sort of a new thing, um, um, with some help from grants from USF. <laughs> and so we digitally, digitally recorded everything. Um, you know, you map where you're digging. And we, in particular, went to two loci. So we um, excavated one area behind the mansion that was behind the kitchen that we ended up finding a kitchen, a midden, or a trash pit, as archaeologists like to call it, that had lots of you know things like broken glass and ceramics, uh, animal bone. And by loci, you mean? Oh, sorry, areas. Areas. Sorry, okay. areas of focus. So there had actually been an archaeological survey done. So someone had done a little bit of archaeology on the site years ago. And so I looked at the maps that they had of where they found artifacts and decided to focus in on some areas in particular, one being this, this midden or trash pit behind the kitchen, which is very common in, you know, pretty much up to the late 19th century, people just threw their trash out in the back of their house, um, you know, or dig up, dug a pit maybe and threw sure. it, yeah. you know, okay. threw it in there. Okay. Um, and so that was one area. And then another area we were trying to see if we could identify the overseer's house because there was an overseer on the, the spot. And so on the, on the mansion area. Um, and then we were going to ideally try and also do some survey of areas surrounding where the sugar mill, because there was a huge sugar mill built, the, so then it's still standing, the ruins of it. Um, it was one of the biggest in the south, outside of Louisiana, just huge sugar mill. Um, and we, based on historical documents and other things, uh, um, we thought maybe an area adjacent to that would be where we would identify enslaved labor, um, the, the village where the enslaved laborers lived. Unfortunately, most of it's on private land or s other areas where we haven't been able to get uh, permission yet. So most of our research has been focused on the mansion area. So we also had um, the um, uh, people come out to do 3D scanning of some of the features on the site. So there's a tabby cistern that's very big and um, interesting and some other cisterns on the site. Um, we have used LIDAR, light detection and um, uh, what is it? Light, de <laughs> light detection, um, basically using lasers okay. <laughs> and things to shoot at the ground right. to look at the topography okay. of the area to see if we can identify any areas that might have been, you know, former buildings or other features on the landscape, like the enslaved labor housing. Um, we had the Alliance for Integrated Spatial Technologies out of USF Libraries. Um, they came out and mapped our site to input it into GIS. Did some did the 3D scans as well of the site so we can preserve this, um, you know, into the future digitally. Um, and so, yeah, so we went in and we excavated two separate areas and we ended up finding quite a bit um, there. So those are the main methods that we used. Um, and then we ended up identifying in the kitchen minute. What we ended up identifying mostly, though, and this is not a surprise if you remember from the history, mm -hmm. is the, the Patton family. Mm. The, so the later occupants of the site, um, we identified a lot of material from that period and less from, say, the mid 
19th century, more from the last quarter, I'd say, mm-hmm. um, which is not surprising at all. Um, if you consider really, um, so when Gamble was living there, one, he was single. He didn't have a family. Um, and two, he was sort of absentee for a while. He was taking care of business in Tallahassee. And so really the only people in this area would have been the overseer, you know, maybe some hands and some enslaved laborers or cooks or domestics, um, servants. Um, and so we, we wouldn't find a lot of material culture. Uh, we did find an early evidence of a possible summer kitchen or smokehouse, um, which would have been just separate from the, the house out. We found some post holes of a small wooden we found an actual wooden beam with nails in it and mm-hmm. some post holes. Hmm. Um, so there was some sort of, we were trying to identify where on the site, you know, maybe other um, structures were uh, as well in hmm. this. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting how <laughs> technology is, is changing what you guys are able to do and maybe the questions you guys are able to ask now that we have access to, um, you know, more of these technologies to, you know, like you said, 3D map or, you know, um, use the lasers to map out the topography. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's yeah. just no, it's amazing. blows yeah. my mind <laughs> yeah. sometimes when yeah. I when I talk to archaeologists. Um, we're going to stop here and take one more music break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about um, Dr. Wallman's field school and um, about the digs and community parci- participation with the digs. Hey, Bulls, you're listening to Anthro Alert on Bulls Radio. We're going to hop right back into the conversation where we left off. Dr. Wallman was explaining to us some of the methods that she used and some of the technologies that she used to get at uh, answering these questions that she has when she's working on um, Gamble Plantation Historic State Park. So we are going to um, keep talking um, about this site, specifically about your field school, Dr. Wallman. So you host a field school here. You were explaining a little bit about that to us. Um, and also, since it's a state park, this your site is, is open to the public. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are, what are some of the community perceptions of, of the research that you're conducting on this site? Yeah, well, so far, um, the community's been wonderful and welcoming. Uh, as I was sort of indicating before, there's a lot of, you know, different stakeholders, I think, in this site. So you have the park, you know, of course, you have the daughter, United Daughters of Confederacy who, who preserved the park. Um, you know, we have a lot of interested citizens in the local community, and they've been wonderfully receptive um, to what we're doing and excited about what we're doing. Um, I think for them, it really, you know, for, for everybody, it kind of um, highlights um, this really important history um, in Florida, um, in Manatee County as well. Uh, and so all in all, I'd say the, the public has been wonderful. Um, we held, yeah, the, we're on the state park, so really the, the excavations are just open every day. You know, we'll, we might be holding it next summer again. I'll keep people posted. Mm-hmm. Um, but the we're just there in the middle of the park. And just people doing can, your thing. Yeah, people doing just their kinda thing. <laughs> people are like, why are you, do, you, know, why are you measuring that? What, you know, why, <laughs> why do you do it this way? And, you know, the students are taught to kind of interact and, and teach the public, right? That's part of what we're doing. Which is probably a good learning process for, for them it as well. It is. Yeah. It is. It was re- and they were just wonderful, um, you know, quick, quickly picked up on it. And we had, so we had also then days where the public could come and actually participate. Um, and there was, I mean, I think over the six days we had, over the six weeks, maybe, you know, 200-plus people, um, children and adults alike, came, and they were able to excavate and screen and help us wash artifacts. 
um, you know, have plenty of kid a- kid activities. A lot of the, the kids left saying they wanted to be archaeologists. <laughs> That'll probably last a day. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. The next thing comes on. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but, yeah, we had a, a school groups come in. So we had, I think, 100 eighth graders one day from a, a local school. Um, you know, so it was a, a nice opportunity to kind of teach the methods and importance um, of archaeology to the public. And, and we had wonderful community response. That's fantastic. That's mm-hmm. some real applied anthropology or applied archaeology right mm-hmm. there. Yeah. 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 I think because the whole point of that uh, is, r- is really to try to get people excited about what's going on and excited about asking questions and just thinking about um, finding more to, to what's behind the story. Mm. Yep. Yep. And I think it's, it's something about um, objects, something about things. That, you know, if you give somebody something you pull out of the ground and whether it's 100 years old or 5,000 years old or 10,000 years old, um, there's something about, you know, this tangible thing that you can hold that's, you know, that someone 100 years ago or 1,000 years ago used and held. And it's very kind of personal and I think it can really impact people. Um, So I think participating... Um, you know, it's not just learning about what we do, but it's also sort of an experience, right? Um, connects you with, with this heritage and history. Hmm. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a lot of, um, I don't know. I just, that surprised me that you've had so many, so many people or from the community and in, like interested in this, mm-hmm. um, because it seems sometimes it's it's a problem to get co- um, community participation in, in sites or, um, I guess, with projects like yeah. these. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? Or at least, like, that's that's what I've heard from um, archaeology colleagues or, or, or professors or, or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah were, you, were you surprised that there was so much uh, community engagement or participation? Um. Yes and no. I don't. I don't know. I think um, you know. Since moving to Florida a few years ago, I, I think that I've met. You know, I've gone given various talks or mm-hmm. gone out in the public, and I think that you know Floridians tend to be interested in in their history and heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, more so than some places I've lived. I think so. I was. I was. I was happy. You know, and 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 very. You know, I guess a little bit surprised, but. Um, I think all in all, all in all, it was just it sort of went as I as I hoped. I guess I'd say, okay. you know, yeah. is the um, best case scenario. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was really nice, you know, to see all the people interested and especially the kids, you know, having, um, you know, all these kids just kind of uh, eyes open and, you know, excited about what we're doing. It's really, yeah, absolutely. Um, towards the end of the show, we usually have people talk about, you know, career paths or maybe what their aspirations are or where they got to where they are. Um, you know what is what is the typical career path for someone wanting to get into historic archaeology or zooarchaeology or do you have any advice for students that may want to be in your position one day? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I would say um, you know <laughs> you got you to gotta go to school for a long time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but <laughs> you know, I would say also I, I think I want to make note of the fact that most archaeologists. Um, are not in actually in my position. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the archaeological work that goes on in the United States, at the very least, um, is actually under the, the the umbrella of cultural resource management, or what we call CRM. Uh, and so this is um, basically how to put. There's there's laws in place like you would say somebody's going to you know you need to build something, a building or um, a road. 
there are federal and state laws in place, uh, like you would have an environmental scientist come in to make sure you're not destroying, say, um, a, a habitat for an endangered species. You have archaeologists come in and hi historians come in to make sure that these constructions are not going to impact the cultural resources, mm -hmm. uh, whether that be a historic building or an archaeological site. And so this obviously then employs a lot of people. And in fact, you don't, you know, you can get pretty good work, consistent work with just a bachelor's degree hmm. and a field school like sure. the students took with me. Um, so you need a little bit of experience, but then you can mm -hmm. go out and, you know, there's pretty good paying jobs with a bachelor's degree. Um, and then, you know, I'd say if, if and always, I would say for anyone wanting to be an archaeologist, go and do archaeology. Right. First. <laughs> before you decide you <laughs> yeah, want to do yeah. it, yeah. Go and, before you go and, you know, g try get get into a graduate program or anything, you know, make Commit sure you... all that time. Yeah, you get a lot of experience because it's hard work, right? I mean, we're d it's hard manual labor. You're out there. It's dirty. Mm -hmm. um, I think most people who, who end up having careers in archaeology are very passionate right. about what we do um, because it's sometimes... Um, you know, we don't get much in return. Yeah. <laughs> um, thankless jobs sometimes, right? Sure. Um, yeah. And and so I'd say, you know, there's a lot of different career paths you can you can do, though. You know, a lot of people get into things like environmental compliance as well um, mm. through archaeology. Uh, you can work for the state parks, the national parks, the National Forest Service. You know, and the all of the federal agencies um, have a lot of career opportunities for archaeologists. Hmm. Um, I would say just go out and get experience, and that's key, you know. That's good advice. Mm -hmm. Renee, do you have any final comments? Well, my takeaway from the uh, career preparation there is that is it is insufficient to rely on popular movies and amusement park <laughs> rides <laughs> to prepare me for a career yeah. in archaeology. Yeah. You have to be ready to go dig in the dirt. You have to be able and willing to get dirty. Yes, and, <laughs> and it's, it's tedious and can be not bo boring or not, you know, yeah. not oftentimes not as adventurous as, mm. as Indiana Jones might have you think. <laughs> as people may yeah. wish it to be. Right? <laughs> yeah. Dr. Wallman, do you have any final comments that you would like to make before we wrap up the show for this week? Um, well, I'd just like to thank you for mm. having me on and for kind of highlighting historical archaeology and then this very um, important historical site that we have um, right nearby. Um, I would say for anybody, you should you know go and visit the site. It's open to the public. Um, there's a, the mansion is, is still standing and they have a museum there. Um, you go visit the, the state park, go visit all your state parks. In fact, Florida has some wonderful state parks. Yeah. Just um, from, yeah. <laughs> I've just recently moved down. Well, I've been down here a year now, but there is a lot of state parks in Florida. I did not realize yeah, the, so the park system that is here. It's, it's about 174. Yeah. It's, <laughs> an, it's enormous. Oh, yeah. nice. Good, good stats there. <laughs> um, yeah. So I would say go and, you know, visit these places, learn about your heritage and your history, Go out and you know read books and and go to these these public um, these these public events when you can and learn a little more, mm. you know it's it can only help you right yeah and and definitely ask questions yes ask yes ask questions mm -hmm. those are good um, good summarization good <laughs> final comments for the show this week it'll get you guys thinking ask questions this week <laughs> <Yeah>. be <laughs> be aware of your surroundings and your history and your heritage. And we hope you all have a nice weekend. We'll be back on Friday at 3 on Bulls Radio. So stay tuned or, or 
tune in at three if if you want to listen to Anther Alert again. So you've been listening <laughs> to Bulls Radio WUSF eighty nine point seven HD three Tampa sixteen twenty AM on campus and streaming worldwide at bullsradio.org. See you later. <laughs>